Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this very special episode of the Talking Biotech Podcast, episode 400 and the beginning of year nine, eight years in the box. And so how do you commemorate such an event? And it seems like an appropriate time to maybe take a look backwards and talk about where this all began, because a lot of you don't know the story. The Talking Biotech Podcast really had its roots in the early, I guess you would say, 2010s, whatever we call that decade. Podcasting was a thing. It was just getting started. And there were a few people who were getting involved in this space. And everybody told me, this is a medium for you. You need to be involved in podcasting. I said, okay, well, whatever that is. But most of all, what I said was, there's no way that I have time to participate in generation of any particular media. I was uh, an associate professor at a busy university. I had a lab full of people. I had projects that were burning on multiple levels, uh, grants that were burning on multiple levels. Uh, There was no time for a podcast, especially when it took a learning curve and new technology to get me started. But most importantly, it wasn't about not wanting to be able to do it. It was, it was hard for me to justify spending my time on some sort of communications project when I had so many other responsibilities as an associate professor. Throughout my career, I've been very responsive. And I've always tried to do a really good job when I do service work for the discipline. And when you do a good job, people give you more work to do. And people kind of expect you to be available and ready to roll. And so that's where I was. And I never said no to anything. And it would be very difficult for me to add this idea of a podcast and then start turning down projects for the discipline. And I can imagine people saying, well, you didn't have time to review this proposal, but you had time to do a stupid podcast. And that just kept going on in my head, that they would view science communication as a trivial, non-necessary bauble of my, of my appointment that um, I shouldn't waste my time with. And a number of faculty told me that. Senior faculty said, I don't know why you waste your time with this. So with that as a background, there was absolutely zero incentive to do it. Now let's move forward to about 2014. And you're starting to see more people emerge in podcast media. You're seeing large uh, acts like the Joe Rogans and Adam Carollas and other comedians work into that space and have very successful podcasts that were independent of the other organizations they were attached to. And I said, this is really time to get in. This is when I need to be doing this. But I had the same problem. I couldn't do it as Kevin Fulta on a podcast because you would always have somebody saying it's wasting my time. And this is back when I used to listen to other people. (laughs) So uh, I decided I could do it if 
I did it under a pseudonym. And Vern Blazek was born. <laughs> so the idea was, was to do a podcast that was science-based and to have a science-based factual conversation, but do it under a pseudonym, not as me, but as somebody else, as an established veteran broadcaster who is into the podcast medium from overnight AM radio. And there was a whole story behind it, mostly ripping off the story of Art Bell. Now, if you know Art Bell, Art Bell and his uh, predecessor or his postecessor, George Nori, I don't know if postecessor is a word, they had an overnight show where they would talk about psychics and aliens and Bigfoot and all of these kinds of phenomena that were not terribly real. And they had a lot of anti-GMO stuff on there. And I, I used to listen all the time. I was trashed on there all the time. Uh, it was along the same lines of Infowars, right? That overnight, um, you know, crackpot uh, drinking, cleaning your guns up late, listening to <laughs> the radio tell you about how um, you needed to be packing more food in your Patriot bunker. This is the this is the radio show that I attempted to parodyize as Vern Blazek. But who is Vern Blazek? Uh, apparently, he came from Tillamook, uh, Oregon. I had been out there once. I said he lived on a house on uh, a certain route that I remember being on, and uh, had the whole background backstory of uh, Vern living in Tillamook, and you know that was the story. And the rest of it really went after uh, Art Bell, who lived in Pahrump, Nevada, which is outside of Las Vegas, up in the mountains, much like Tillamook is to Portland. And the idea was he was living near, um, Art Bell was near Area 51, Vern was near Area 52. Uh, Vern uh, would, uh, it, was the, it was the science power hour, but never really exceeded 30 minutes. There were a lot of jokes in this, a lot of uh, tongue-in-cheek humor. I mean, anybody who was halfway there would realize this was a joke, that it was funny parody that was uh, taking science seriously. So a parody host, real science. That was the formula. His voice would be me, would be very easily recognized. So I would have to change it a little bit, and audio processing allows me to do that. Now, how could I disguise my voice? Well, when I was growing up in Chicago, on WGN, they had a famous broadcaster named Cliff Mercer. And Cliff Mercer was the guy who, when, uh, the, the remember how you'd be watching TV and then the transmitter would shut off, happen all the time. And you'd get that chest pattern on the screen, that like bars of different colors. And then it would go back to TV. And he would always say, he would be the guy who, with his voice, would say, We now return to I Dream of Genie, starring Barbara Eden and Larry Hagman, already in progress. <laughs> and he had, like, a, a lisp, that, a, very, a very pronounced lisp, and a very distinct voice. And I think I can play a little bit of him right here. Secretary of State Edmund Muskie is calling on America's NATO allies to impose economic sanctions against Iran. After a Brussels meeting with NATO officials this morning, Muskie said Iranians must learn that they will have to pay a price for their hostage policy. Iranian officials claim two American men are in a prison in Tehran charged with participating in last month's failed rescue mission 
An Iranian president, Bonnie Sauter, says an international conference will be held in Tehran in early June to probe Iran's claims of American crimes against that nation. So that is what I was trying to emulate. And, uh, <laughs> and I could do it with some voice processing. And I did it. And, and I interviewed some people and had a great time doing it. Welcome to Burn Blazer Science Power Hour with your host, Burn Blazer. Burn Blazer takes you to the interface at the cutting edge of science and society, critically analyzing the controversies, engaging the experts, and sorting through the shills and charlatans to distill the scientific truth. What does the evidence tell us? That's what Burn Blazer wants to know. Ladies and gentlemen, Burn Blazer. Well, this is the Burn Blazer Science Power Hour with me, your host, Burn Blazer. Uh, today, coming from a very special kind of show, uh, today I was very fortunate to be able to do this remotely, uh, coming to you from Fresno, California. Uh, here in Fresno, I was visiting uh, somebody, an old friend who's having some health problems, and uh, just kind of sometimes you're in the right place at the right time. Uh, sometimes it's a good story to share with you. I was visiting a friend, uh, affectionately known as Moonshadow. Uh, over the years, our paths have taken us to different places, but I do wax fondly back in our time as free spirits of the late 1960s, early 70s. Uh, we hitchhiked across the great land, touched America and all of her tingly parts. Uh, uh, we left our adventures without much money. Uh, lots of time, and a large novelty bag of ganja. It was an optimistic sense of adventure. Uh, we were a couple of long hairs, uh, really shunned and unwelcomed in most places, yet we found that the hearts and minds of Americana uh, were willing to embrace our ideas across this great land. And Moonshadow and I have drifted apart over the last several years, especially uh, during my overnight adventures. Um, he always has been a little more interested in mystics and psychics, in conspiracies and suspicion of the man. I was becoming a little more, a little more of a critical thinker. I came across him uh, recently, just uh, revisiting him as he recuperates from an illness, and he, unfortunately, he's not well, but but improving, and uh, he's relatively certain that the disease he has came from GMOs in his diet and environment. So I'm skeptical about learning, and I understand his concerns and the concerns of others, and personally, you know, I'm a little little tweaked by the yuck factor of it all. I'm not necessarily convinced, but I, uh, I'm not moved by their evidence. I remain open, and as luck would have it, I'm staying in a hotel, uh, here in Fresno, where I met a film crew uh, in the breakfast nook. As it turns out, they were shooting a documentary on GMO technology. The film is called No GMO, and I was prepared to grill them on their science, and you see the confusion that was caused by their title. So today, interview with No GMO, the movie, with director Nick Syke. Yeah. 
Hello, this is Vern Blazik with the Vern Blazik Science Power Hour. And uh, lucky to wake up this morning in Fresno, California, raisin capital of the world. Uh, it's here that the grapes are dried into the small morsels that we pack into tiny boxes and think of as food for kids and our oatmeal. I'm Vern Blazik in the Vern Blazik Science Power Hour. I'm fortunate today to have been walking through a hotel lobby. And it started to get a little bit weird when I found, I read about this book about bed bugs. And I thought, what a great topic for Vern Blazik to cover. So I reached out to the author, who is journalist Brooke Borrell, who was uh, wrote for Popular Mechanics and had frequent stuff online. I thought that was kind of cool. So I wrote her an email as Vern Blazik saying, come on the podcast and talk about bed bugs. And I never heard anything back from her. Later that summer, I think it was 2014, I was at a conference in Davis, California, and she was there. And uh, I talked to her a little bit about stuff. And then I think she went with me and a group out that night to get some drinks or whatever, and we were talking. And um, and we had a little bit of a discussion that was a little bit, I don't want to say heated, but she was very much set in the ways about, well, you never can accept money from a corporation and be uh, considered objective. And I disagreed. I said, well, it's all in the science. It's in the data. And she said, absolutely not. You're tainted forever. Once, and this is all before the big blow up that I had with my university. She said, once you've been uh, funded, you never have credibility, blah, blah, blah. And I vehemently disagreed. We went back and forth and, you know, it wasn't nasty or anything like that, but it just was uh, a difference of opinion. And just to kind of maybe make amends with her later on, I said, why don't you join me on this podcast I do where I do it as a pseudonym, Vern Blazek. And then the lights kind of connected in her head. Well, someone asked me to do this before, but why are you doing this as a pseudonym? And she didn't know the whole story, obviously. So right after uh, I started doing the Vern Blazek Science Power Hour, I was gaining a lot of momentum in the discussion space around genetic engineering. I was on lots of uh, podcasts. I was on lots of uh, articles. I was considered maybe a pretty pronounced expert. And this is uh, um, 2014, 2015. I'm getting a lot of traction, a lot of visibility. And that means the folks who want you gone are really focusing on you. And they really wanted to make sure that I was uh, discredited. They were looking for anything they could look for. And this is about when all the FOIA stuff started. So for those of you who don't know the story, I'll give you the short version. Uh, the uh, U.S. Right to Know, uh, an organization that just was really out to slander scientists, uh, captured something like 5,500 pages of my email, and they went through and created stories that were not necessarily accurate. Um, my university had received a donation from Monsanto uh, for $25,000, to a science communication program that would allow me to uh, add a day to presentations I was giving to hold this thing, put out coffee and donuts, uh, pay for a cheap hotel room and a rental car, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, No money to me, um, all to enable me to teach this biotechnology and communication program. So that was something that was uh, stewing in the background. I was on with Dr. Drew. I was on with Kara Santa Maria. I was on with Joe Rogan. And it was a really, really good time. All right. Uh, I'm here with uh, Kevin Folta, 
Kevin, you are a scientist, a GMO foods expert, and if there is one subject that gets beaten to death online and in conversation and butchered, I've heard many conversations that I had, I just walk away from at parties where people started talking about what GMO foods do and what's going to happen and all the horrible things. GMO foods are probably one of the most confusing and also one of the most hated things in in the world today, but also one of the most common and most misunderstood, right? I mean, almost everything. There's a Neil deGrasse Tyson did a video about this where he was kind of explaining like the term GMO foods, like virtually everything you see, including things that are quote unquote organic at a supermarket have been modified in some way in order to prolong their shelf life, in order for them to taste better, including corn and tomatoes and, to and oranges and you name it. Yeah, I think that's the big problem is that and you frame this very well. The problem is that we confuse this idea of GMO, which is kind of a pejorative term that, that we've derived to uh, kind of misrepresent this kind of technology, which is really just plant genetic improvement. Um, like you say, um, we've been improving plants for 10,000 years as a species. We find the ones that work best and we continue to select those particular lines that have benefits for us. And we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, so everything is different than it was in the wild. If you look at the natural forms, they're nothing like what you see today in the store. So this GMO thing is just the most recent way that we've been able to modify the way a plant behaves and what plant products are. And it just is a much This fear that people have about foods being modified, I think, um, is it's it's a big one and it's one of the biggest ones in this country and so to have a guy like you come on and express why we should be concerned and why we shouldn't be concerned and why what what the positive aspects of are I think I think it's really really important man I think a lot of people need to hear what you have to say and they need to be able to listen to it from an objective standpoint and understand that this is a very complex issue it's very complex and it's very important I appreciate that we'd have time to talk about it because and it's something that I, I really encourage people. There's places where you can get great resources. Have you ever thought about doing a podcast? Because you'd be excellent at it. I would love to do it. There's some funny um, things about that. Um, I can't talk. Do you have an anti-podcast clause in your university contract or something? No, I have a podcast I do, but I don't do it as me. Oh, you <laughs> son of a bitch. I do it as I do it as a character. And oh, it's, it's, no. And, uh, How dare you? And it, you it, can't it, talk about it? No, I can't talk about what it. Because the what the fuck did you mention it for then? Well, They're going to find it. They're uh, going to find it. I guess. The yeah, problem is, is that once the, the I know. But, but, but once the cat's out of the bag, the funny part is, cat's though, out of the bag. is that, well, huh, that's too bad. <laughs> the, the, the reason I wanted to keep it secret, though, and maybe right, here's my appeal to don't go look for it. Okay, but it's still secret. What's it about? Science. And you're a character on a science podcast? Yeah. Ooh. I'm a moderator. Who they're going to know that. Yeah, is. I guess they'll figure they'll it out. They'll figure it out immediately. But I'll keep it going anyway. I mean, Col yeah, keep it going. Don't you know, admit to it, no matter what. Yeah, Colbert did it for how many years? Yeah, you know, exactly. and so uh, and, and it's very much along that line. It's very much <laughs> along that line. It's uh, it's it, it's a lot of fun talking about. Do you play science. a dummy or a smart guy? Uh, a dumb smart guy. Oh, so you play a guy who doesn't understand the science and you have to correct people or they have to correct you? Is that what happens? Uh, something like that. So and you play the antagonist and so they come along and then they have to use you as a tool to get to the root of the problem, the ignorance that people have with science. Essentially, yes. And then, then some stuff that's completely Clever off the bastard. wall. And it's, but it's, it's, it's really fun because it's a great way to get the science out there. And it allows me to have some fun as a, uh, as, a, as a character that I couldn't have as a... Uh, 
established professor and chairman of a of a uh, of a department. Totally understood. Um, yeah, that also, so what you need, also is now linked to a great uh, song online. <laughs> <laughs> what you need is a rapper name. You know how yams have their own separate name? Yeah. The yam, and then they have the other thing. You need a rapper name, dude. Yeah, I do have one. Actually, what is it? Um, you gonna write it down? I'm not gonna say it. I hope you is don't. it like Kaiser Soze? Uh, it's, it's one of those one, things. Or it's Candyman? one. It's one better. You can even okay. you can even look it up online here. If you okay. Want. But um, that's it. I can't talk about no, that. Don't talk. Okay. About it. I, it, it just, I just won't it, violate your trust. I think it's good because it, the thing is, is that I do want to talk to people who don't agree with um, technology. Well, why don't you do this? Why don't you have a podcast where people, instead of like I, you've seen you, I've seen rather you spend so much time typing. I'm sure you can type or you can talk rather quicker than you can type all that shit out. Yeah. So why don't you just take those questions and have people send them to you every week and if they're not redundant, just that way you can choose, you know what you've already addressed sure. and you could say, hey, we covered that in podcast two or three. You would have a kick-ass podcast, man. Well, I'd be happy to support it too. Well, why don't we, why don't we talk about that? We'll talk about I, that. I always it's so wanted, easy to do. Well, the one I wanted to do was the uh, crop domestication podcast where I talked about- Oh, finally someone's doing that. Well, I wanted to no, know the one we talk about the, the strawberries <laughs> and the yams yeah. and all that stuff. I wanted to talk about each one of their stories and how they came to be. Fuck and, yeah! And interview the experts. And it's so, a great idea. And it, and so uh, all these things are kicking around. The problem is, is I have three full time jobs. Whoa! Uh, I mean, I'm an administrator um, for a department of fifty nine faculty. I'm a uh, full time research scientist, and I'm a full time science communicator. And so um, I literally do work six a.m. to midnight, seven days a week. Dude. And and, uh, and except for exercise time, you know, the stuff I do there. I am. Uh, I'm. I'm in this. What are you hiding from? What are you running from? Running from something? No. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I guess. Seems I, like a lot of work. <laughs> I guess. I guess what I'm running from is. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm running from. Um, I'm waiting for one of these things to wear out where I can just cut it back to two. That's an amazing work ethic that you have, and I can understand why you wouldn't have enough time. But if you have enough time to do all these tweets, I'm saying even if you just did a half an hour yeah. once a week, yeah. if you just, for a half an hour once a week, just got a collection of, maybe you can get an intern to collect some of the best questions. I'm sure somebody would be happy to do that. You press record on an iPhone. That's all you need to do. I mean, the, the, the quality of the recording you get from a regular iPhone is pretty much worth it. You can hold it up to your mouth yeah. and just go over the piece that people could hear you, turn the paper, okay, what do we got here? Okay, this one. This is important. And just ramble into the microphone, and I'm telling you, it would be popular as oh, fuck. Yeah. And you'd be able to quit your other jobs. No, and that, and that works great, actually. I have used the iPhone in my character. Is used the iPhone. Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and, uh, and I got a nice mixer at home. I punch, punch it through the mixer. Oh, and... so you know how to do this oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, this is all second oh, okay. nature. I mean, I used to be in a band, you know. Oh, that's um, right. I didn't so, even think of that. So this is, so, but I imagine there's a couple things, I, and I love doing this kind of media stuff. It would be a really easy thing for me to do. It's just a question of where to wedge it into a full schedule. You really got to try it you really i think you'd be excellent at it because right. you're really great today i really really appreciate talking to you kevin falta thank you very much and please do a goddamn podcast will you sir thank please. you please people would love it i think you could help a lot of people by answering a lot of questions like you did today you were fantastic i appreciate the hell out of you man we'll thank do. you very thank very you, much Joe. people you, you can follow him on twitter it's kevin falta f-o-l-t-a on twitter so at the website. end of that podcast is where joe said that i needed to start my own podcast and that's really where i transitioned into talking biotech uh, the funny part is, is that Vern Blazek came to a screeching halt because uh, Ms. Borrell um, decided that it was a scandal. And this because of the uh, Monsanto dollars to the university. She said it's a you know breach of transparency because it's a pseudonym and a fake voice and blah, blah, blah. And she really didn't like that one time on the podcast, I interviewed Kevin Folta as Vern Blazek, which I thought was hilarious. I thought it was a good thespian. 
And I also thought it was pretty clear that it was me. And so it was kind of the tongue in cheek way of, of really saying, you know, this is who this is. And you could kind of tell, but um, to those who wanted to find a scandal in uh, an innocent uh, adventure into podcasting, it was perfect. And later that October was written up in Buzzfeed as this incredible scandal. It was her word um, that, uh, uh, that Vern Blazek was a, a thing. And, and, and one of the saddest parts about it is that she said the title of the article was um, Confessions of a Monsanto Apologist. Confessions of a Monsanto Apologist. Not, here's a guy who talks about science who's been completely accurate in discussing the facts and relative risks and benefits of a scientific technology. But here's somebody who is lauded for her handle on science who says, I don't care about the science. I want to hang this guy. Screw him. Um, apolog- or, um, uh, um, confessions of a Monsanto apologist. So teaching science is now being an apologist for Monsanto, according to Brooke Borel. And I asked her about this. A day that that came out, I said, really? You're going to call this article that? And she said, well, I didn't come up with that article name. I didn't come up with that title. That was my editor. So let me get this straight. You're coming after me for producing media that didn't authentically represent myself, yet you're using a title that someone else came up with to harm a scientist for teaching science. Think about that for a second. And then, and, and then she said, fine, I'll change it. And she changed it to seed money. And the whole thing just reeked of animosity. And out of all the people I've crossed over the years, I, I remember sitting with her and begging her, don't do this because I know the harm that this will bring to me and my family and my lab, and I know the, the vitriol that's out there for the people who want to believe that there's something nefarious going on here when I'm simply teaching science. And she didn't care. And I cried, and I begged her, do not do this, and she did it. So, you know, it's kind of funny. Out of all the people who've been absolutely horrible to me over the years, I've, I've developed a pretty dense do not Heimlich mit list, but people like Vonnie Hari and, you know, Gary Ruskin, all the people at U.S. Art Right to Know, even Paul Thacker, who, who's been horrible, I kind of give a pass because, you know, they're, they're on a mission that they don't understand what they do. I think Brooke knew exactly what she was doing and was ready to hammer a check to hurt somebody who she disagreed with. And I think that was really awful. My university was a little bit upset about that. Um, they thought it was weird. Um, they didn't understand my motivation that I didn't want it to be me. Um, I needed a pseudonym if I was going to do it, but then realized I could step out as uh, Kevin Fulton and do it that way and actually worked out very well. And that's when Talking Biotech was born. My first guest was uh, Julie Kay, and Julie, J-U-L-L-E-E, reached out to me many years ago telling me about the dangers of GMOs and how it gave her brother brain cancer, and she was a wonderful, 
wonderful person who sat and listened and talked and asked great questions. And we had so many back and forths. And she ended up being a great proponent of technology in the end. So she's one of those conversions. And I interviewed her first. I interviewed Cybabe, Yvette Teatremont. I interviewed James, uh, who I don't know, remember who else were the early ones. A lot of the really cool technologies. And you can go back and hear them all. And that's when Talking Biotech was born. So that's the um, initiation story. And I had this idea that I would do 100 episodes. Uh, the first episode started out as two parts. One where we talked about uh, biotechnology. The second part in uh, domestication of plants, which I love domestication stories. That became very difficult to do two interviews a week and engineer and produce them, which I do all myself. And uh, so I started doing just one story a week after, say, episode 10. I also used to have a lot of guest hosts, and I always thought that was a great part of this uh, uh, venture. And friends from science communication or people I knew from here and there. It it was a really good thing, and I really liked that, and I'd like that more again in the future. But around episode, I guess, 13, 14, somewhere in there, my university said you need to stop. And this is because FOIAs were coming fast and furious. We had threats coming to the university. We had uh, endless calls to the president saying, fire the guy. We had um, uh, someone break into my office and spill coffee all over my uh, assistant's office. They never went to my office, but they broke into my assistant's area, spilled coffee all over the desk, all over everywhere, and used some uh, USB drive to pull information off the computer. And so this was when the university had to uh, start having police on a regular basis around the university because of threats against me and against my laboratory. I had to pull the name off my laboratory uh, nameplates. Um, it was it was a really bad time, and it was all because of really this trumped up charge of uh, collusion with a major multinational and being a paid shill for biotechnology. And the university told me to stop, and uh, I did actually, for a while at the end of November of 2015. And every time I went to speak somewhere, they had someone tail me there and listen to what I was saying. And it was really sad because I was speaking with uh, congressional aides. I was speaking with, um, and this is answering questions, not saying, oh, biotechnology is wonderful. I was speaking at all these events and I had somebody from the university there either recording or paying attention to what I was saying. It was really, really weird. Um, I wasn't a flamethrower. I've always talked about how we can be better at communicating biology and what biotechnology is. And how do we talk about the strengths and limitations and the real risks and benefits of any given technology? And those of you who listen to the podcast on a weekly basis really know that. It was really a disappointing time. And I remember how heartbroken I was, not just because of losing the podcast, but uh, the credibility shot I was taking across the board and the threats to me and my family and, and, and my home and, and my lab and all the things that were happening at the time were extremely hard. And if you go back, I think it was episode 13, I really kind of had a rather disgruntled monologue about what was happening. And it was a very sad time a very challenging time. And I remember having health implications because of it. I mean, missing 4,000 heartbeats a day, um, all kinds of other stuff that was happening. 
that were really affecting me and affecting my relationships. And it, it was a really, really hard time. I never let it stop my productivity at work. I still kept in leadership just fine. I was department chair. I did a great job with my laboratory, but um, the ride home was uh, tears and, and misplaced heartbeats, uh, trying to think of how I was going to deal with the next round of FOIA requests, which were coming over and over again. The food babe, Vani Hari, uh, was persistent in producing uh, these requests. Um, the uh, others, others across the board, all over the place, over and over and over again, uh, producing these FOIA requests, which my university has to respond to, I have to respond to, and it is an extremely stressful and expensive process. Uh, for the university, attorneys have to go through every email, uh, redact all the information. It's absolutely horrendous, but it's what we must do in the name of transparency. Nonetheless, the university's position is, it looks bad to have somebody um, under all of this investigation, whether they're guilty or innocent. And two, it's extremely expensive and arduous for the university to have to answer these requests. And so the, the idea was back down. Get, get your head down and, and, and shut up. And at the same time, that's not the way I operate. Um, I run into the burning building. I'm not afraid of this stuff. And so I need to step into it harder. And we're telling the truth. We're on the right side of this. So um, I did. I, I, I kept going back in, I think, February or January of 2016, started back up. And from that point, it's been a, just about every week ever since. Until 2019, when my university, November 2019, my university told me, um, no, you cannot do this anymore. Um, you need to shut down your podcast. Uh, 2019, November 2019, November 14th, 2019, to be exact. I sat across from our dean for research who wagged a finger in my face and said, I'm nothing but trouble. Um, shut it down. And that was a heartbreak because I, I pounded the table. It's the first time I ever got mad in a meeting with administration and said, this is exactly what AAAS, what NAS, what all of our major funding organizations are telling us we need to be doing. Quality outreach that's reaching people. It's not just outreach where we're putting a message in a bottle and whipping it out into the sea. We're actually doing directed science communication efforts that are making a difference, that have an audience, that are getting 20,000, 25,000 downloads a, a, a week. Nonetheless... They said you must shut it down or, you know, face additional consequences. And it was made very clear to me that I was going to be either fired or reprimanded or whatever um, if I didn't stop. And I already was taken out of being a department chair at this point. So this is where it all stood in, in 2019. And, and so I, I, I took very seriously the idea of stopping. And I uh, was able to have an excellent guest fill in. And it was Modesta Abugu. And Modesta, if you don't know Modesta, I met Modesta years ago in, <laughs> where did I meet her? In China, I think. And uh, she's from uh, Nigeria. She's a Nigerian scientist. I saw her again in, um, I, actually, I don't know where I, I think. Anyway, it doesn't matter where I met her. I ended up seeing her again in, 2017 in Uganda, and uh, she was wonderful. She helped me navigate some of the uh, tricks of being on the continent there, 
And uh, she was absolutely wonderful. And she said she would like to come to the States for uh, graduate school. And I orchestrated an opportunity for her to come here in conjunction with African studies here at the university, where she did a beautiful job for them, did a beautiful job for us. Um, and, uh, and I was able to ask her to host the podcast and she did, and she crushed it. She did a wonderful job. And I'm always grateful for her for that, because if you are going to ban me from doing it, um, you can't ban her. (laughs) So she took over and probably did five or six weeks of this. Not long after that, I realized something important that if my university was going to give me a letter in writing saying, you cannot do this anymore as a university employee, um, also cancel all my talks. I had five or six really big talks on the schedule. They made me cancel. Um, if they're going to say in writing, and I still have that letter right here. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good one to have because it says, um, it says, uh, you're not allowed to do this, 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 or this as a university employee. And I started thinking about this is that it really isn't a breach of academic freedom as much as a freedom from academia. <laughs> what it meant is, is that I didn't have to do it. If they told me I can't do it as a scientist at the university, I'll do it on my own time, on my own dime, on my own stupid equipment, and I'll find me a sponsor. <laughs> And that was the plan. I figured I could do this and get paid for what I was doing for free, presumably as an outreach extension event as a university scientist. So now I'm independent. Now I have a letter in my hand that says uh, you can't do it as a university person, which now gives me carte blanche to go out and investigate opportunities. And it was about that time that I got a phone call from Calabra. And those of you who listen to the podcast in the last couple of years know that there is sponsorship for, from a company called Calabra. And just a bunch in here with a little brief spot between me and Aoi Senju. So Aoi, uh, thank you very much for the sponsorship and thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. Long time listener, first time caller. So excited to be here. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's give the listener a little bit of background about the genesis of this relationship. So how is it that Talking Biotech fell on your radar in the first place as a potential, uh, I was going to say as a sponsor, but as someone you could sponsor? Yeah, so we were looking at uh, what was the best way to build a relationship with our users. Um, and so we would talk to, with our users and ask them, what uh, podcasts do you listen to? What newsletters do you read? Um, and one of the podcasts that we would hear regularly was Talking Biotech. Um, and so um, uh, we reached out uh, kind of uh, on a whim. We weren't sure whether or not you'd be receptive to it. Um, but then uh, when we started talking, it was very clear that there was um, an opportunity to work together and uh, you would be a really great partner to work with. And uh, we, we were big fans already. So um, it kind of all just made sense at that point. Well, I thought it was amazing to get a phone call from somebody saying, hey, we'd like to work with you. Because, you know, for me, I always looked at this as a message in a bottle. I sit in front of a microphone and and who knows where it goes. And you <laughs> see the numbers that we reach and you see the number of downloads and you, you get feedback from people. But still, it is just a format that feels very um strange that me and ha- me and a guest having a conversation and you don't really understand or I don't understand that there are all these people listening in 
and it, it always seems like such a strange concept. And I hope that never changes because I think yep. that's why it is organic and sounds good. And I'm glad you found some value in that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one of the things that we were very clear with upfront with you as well as um, for ourselves as well is we didn't want to mess with the magic, right? Like it's very difficult to build an audience, particularly with podcasts. And what you've built here is really unique. And we didn't want to come in and um, really uh, insert any of our own agenda into here. We just uh, wanted an opportunity to uh, get into the ears of your audience, but otherwise uh, support you in whatever way we can and uh, let you do uh, what you want to do. Yeah, I appreciate that because the minute this turns into an infomercial for companies or something like that, you know, technology is the star of the show. And so that's why I think it's such a cool, uh, why, why it's had such a staying power as it has. So uh, tell me a little bit about your company. You know, when, when did this start? And tell me maybe a little bit about the product line that you sell and really where you're going. Yeah, sure. So the company's name is called Collabra. Um, we've been around for about two and a half years. Um, and the central insight that led us to build Collabra is that we realized that scientific research today isn't conducted on a single unified platform anymore, but it's usually done on a number of different tools. And this is because scientific research today has become increasingly cross-functional from uh, wet lab work to analytical work to computational biology work. Um, and there's no product, no platform that makes it easy for scientific teams to pull together all of their different forms of data on different applications and create this integrated single source of truth for your scientific research. So what we built with Collabra is this tool that's able to plug into each of the hardware, software, data tools that you use in your lab. Um, and give the end user a single place where they can view and uh, analyze all of their data. Yeah, very good. So who are your major clients? Is it uh, small university laboratories or giant corporate laboratories? Yeah, so we have users all around the world today. Um, we have a number of academic users. We're actually free for academia. So if you are a listener and you're looking uh, to use an electronic lab notebook or a data management tool um, in academia, feel free to contact us and we are free. Uh, for academia. Um, but most of the, the users that we target today are larger biopharma companies. Um, so these are the companies that have hundreds of tools across all of their labs in different locations um, with tools that don't talk to each other. And uh, they need uh, a platform that's able to aggregate um, everything into a single environment. So if listeners want to learn more about Collabra and your products, where would you send them? Cool. Well, you can check out our website, collabra.ai. So that's uh, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-I. Or you can feel free to contact me directly. It's aoi at collabra.ai. It's A-O-I at C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-I. Um, and I read all my emails, so uh, please feel free to contact me. <laughs> well, Aoi, thank you so much for all of your faith in me and the audience to uh, really be, reach out and sponsor. I know it's very challenging for small companies everywhere these days to make ends meet and having the uh, additional burden of having a, a you know, a, a sponsoring a podcast has got to be something else that uh, to think about. And I really appreciate that you found some value in this. And, and so thank you very much. I really mean that. Absolutely. No, the pleasure has been all of ours. So that's where we are today. We're now up to episode 400, sponsored by Calabra, and um, I'm getting paid to do the work that I used to do for gratis. And it's so amazing how many, how many 
uh, letters I get a week, how many emails I get a week from companies saying we would love to be highlighted on your podcast. And I turned down almost all of them because most of them want an infomercial for their company. And this audience doesn't need an infomercial. This in this audience craves learning about cool technology. And I tell them, I said, I don't want to hear about how cool your company is or how cool your CEO is. What I want to hear about is how cool the tech is. And a lot of them turn down at that point. A lot of them can argue their point and they end up on the podcast. We also tried doing something a little bit experimental about how businesses adapt to the changing times. And I haven't enjoyed those as much as I've enjoyed other uh, technology-focused podcasts. So I don't know we're going to go there much anymore. We may try some interesting things going forward. But some of the things that we've done have been really cool. And one of the best residues of being on a weekly podcast is it's inevitable that some of your guests will be lost. And I looked back through the archives and there are three people who I just adore who are no longer with us. And I just wanted to share a little bit of their voice now. Um, It's sad to do. Um, The first one I'll bring up (laughs) was a wonderful interview with Dr. Maxine Thompson. And Dr. Thompson was episode... I don't remember now, but like 103 or something. You can look it up. Dr. Maxine Thompson was one of the first women scientists uh, at Oregon State University, one of the first plant breeders. Uh, she did this at a time when women were not allowed to be plant breeders. She got into the laboratory as an excellent cytologist who got a faculty position because the PI died and she knew what to do. Uh, she would go to conferences and they would hand her her name tag before she'd ever say who she is. And she would say, well, how do you know I'm Maxine Thompson? And they would say, well, you're the only woman here. Uh, her story was not just a story of her triumphs and her uh, outstanding seeding of the hazelnut program at Oregon State University. It was a story of women in science. And I, I think it's a great one to listen to. And here's a little bit with Dr. Thompson here. Well, I couldn't possibly get a job at that time. I had a Ph.D. in genetics and breeding, and uh, I would apply places. They say, no, we want a man. In fact, right here at Oregon, the reason I got up to Oregon is uh, because of my knowledge of chromosome counting. My uh, my predecessor had a grant to study a pyrus, the pear species, and he had a big pear species collection. He wanted the chromosomes counted which I could do easily. So I came up here for that for one year on his grant money. And then he went on sabbatic leave. And so I got to fill his position because I had all the qualifications. So I was there for a year. Then he came back and the next year he dropped dead of a heart attack. (laughs) And so the head of the department asked if I wanted to come over and, and take his position. That is the only way. I was the first woman ever hired. I think I was the second only. There was a one other woman in the whole School of Agriculture, and they hired me. Wow. And I got through the back door. Well, if, if you don't mind me asking, about what year was that? I came here in, six, uh, so I came to Corvallis in 65, about 68. 
I got hired the first time. Well, it's pretty amazing because I think that we find it um, not really hard to believe that such things would happen, you know, years ago. 60s doesn't seem that long ago, and it's sad that it still happens in some places today. Well, yeah. Well, I, I, well when I was working with a pair for that grant on the grant money, uh, the job for uh, the berry breeding job, Chad's job, was open here. They couldn't find anybody. It was a berry breeding job, USDA. Mm-hmm. Um, I applied for it, and the guy in, I interviewed me said, well, you certainly have the qualifications, but we're looking for a man. And I had all my degrees were in genetics, and I had a glowing letter of recommendation from my professor, my major professor. But we're looking for a man. The other person I was able to speak to was Dr. Chad Finn. And Chad... I can't even talk about it without getting um, uh, uh, choked up here. He was a friend and an outstanding scientist and an outstanding advocate for fruits and vegetables and for students and for our discipline. And he was maybe in his mid fifties, um, uh, full of life and vitality. He was the guy you looked forward to seeing at every conference. Uh, he had a big voice and bigger hugs, uh, crushing, bone-crushing hugs. <laughs> a good guy. And uh, someone um, I really will miss, he died in a tragic accident while on a holiday with his family. And I don't know all the details. What I do know is just heartbreaking. But the number of people he touched and the amount of impact he has uh, goes on to this day. And uh, here's just a few uh, seconds with Chad. You know, regardless of what your skill set is, use your skill set. You know, it's like some of us are really deep thinkers. I've had grad students who, um, you know, they are just, they are just blow me away with their brilliance. If any of your listeners listen, it met me, I'm not so smart all the time, as my son told me. But I have an ability to work with people. I love spending time outside year-round. I love berries. I love my field work. I'm looking forward to it right now. And I love working with growers. I love talking to them to hear what their challenges are, to try to figure out how can I fix that problem. And I will tell you, there's nothing cooler than, you know, I'll go driving out in a couple weeks to start looking at fields to see thousands of acres of a crop that you developed. You developed that variety that they're happily growing and making money. And so that's a big thrill in plant breeding is that thrill of discovery. I think, you know, if you're the type of person who loves to go clamming or mushrooming and love that thrill of discovery, you get some idea of what it's like to find that really cool seedling that you're going to make a selection in your seedling field. And so how do you, you know, those kinds of uh, opportunities are there and it's a matter of taking advantage of them. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that the other big angle is the being comfortable with delayed gratification. <laughs> because, because it takes, how many years does it take to release a new BlackBerry cultivar? Oh, it's short. It's only 9 to 15 years. Um, <laughs> so but, the uh, clock is running and you're yeah. you know, a new, real new plant breeder at a university and your product of your hard work and your blood, sweat, and tears, mostly tears, is uh, 15 years on the horizon. Yeah, but as you know, Kevin, if, you, if you're if you starting a program, that's by all means the case. But hopefully one of the things 
One of the, the slide I use at the beginning of almost every one of my presentations, and I'll probably butcher it here, but uh, it's the old, uh, we have warmed ourselves from fires we did not build, or we have drunk from wells we did not dig. And in plant breeding, that is so true that we count on our predecessors to have done a decent job setting our germplasm up so that we can take advantage of it and not have to wait 15 years. And likewise, if we're doing a good job as a plant breeder, we're going to leave our program in good shape for the next person. So that, you know, USDA, we don't have tenure, but we have things similar to tenure. But so that somebody can be successful in that kind of timeline. And uh, that, that, that is a key thing is we're counting on each other as we move forward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, and by all means, I mean, you know, especially students or people interested in the field, um, I get a little crazy from about the 1st of June to the 1st of August being in the field, which I love. Uh, but, you know, we're, we, we, we're really welcoming of visitors. And, you know, whenever I can, if a student's got questions or a colleague, you know, somebody who's interested in the area has questions, I'm happy to try to answer them. Very good. And, and I hope people do think about taking you up on your offer of, of visits, you know, in the appropriate time of year, because stopping in to see you or stopping in over with Kim Hummer's shop and um, just getting to see the germplasm and see, you know, the, the, all of the strawberries, all the different gooseberries, the things that she has out there um, are really, this is a, a, really is a public gem that we pay for as taxpayers and is something that really is an outstanding resource that everybody should appreciate. So I'll just throw that out there too. Yeah. And you know, you know, we got used to being around it all the time, but I still remember the wonder the first time I went to the repositories field planting of blueberries and to see 400, not just different cultivars, but there were also different species in there. And I just, you know, now I drive by it every day and I take it for granted and I, you hate it that that happens, but I've driven by it 6,000 times. But it is amazing to see that field and um, the resources they have there, the genetic resources they have there. Also, you know, you are in a horticultural wonderland in Florida, but, uh, you know, I'll put in a shameless plug for the Pacific Northwest, uh, Willamette Valley, and up in the uh, uh, north of Seattle, some of those areas just... Uh, Having grown up in D.C. and spent a lot of time in Minnesota and Missouri, which are corn and bean states and cattle and horticulture, is it's not that it's not important, but it's just not the thing that drives the state agriculture. Out here in Oregon and Washington, oh my goodness, the and for that matter, California, just horticulture, berries and vegetables and seed crops and hazelnuts really drive agriculture. And for horticultural geeks like myself, it's just a joy to drive around and see these things in production. No, you're exactly right. Well, thank you so much for uh, talking with us today, Chad. It's really, really good to hear you. And, um, you know, you're welcome back anytime. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for doing this, Kevin. It's it's a joy to, to spend time with you. And it's also always a joy to, to hear the different stories you uh, have people tell. So thank you very much. Yeah, well, next time, let's do it in the same room. <laughs> same room with a beer. Yeah, you bet. No, that would be great. Chad worked for the USDA in Corvallis, Oregon, but also had a, a very strong affiliation with Oregon State University. And he was a berry breeder, bred um, uh, blackberries, strawberries, blueberries, uh, all kinds of good things. But he worked with Bernadine Strick. And doc, Dr. Bernadine Strick was uh, an outstanding scientist as well in horticulture at Oregon State University. And she and Chad would work together on 
validating the trials and on testing different uh, plants in different environments and how good the berries were an evaluation of all the products he would produce. And they were partners in this, in the, in the production of many cultivars and varieties. And we recently lost her here in 2023. So here we had three scientists associated with Oregon state university who were um, experts in their field, but sunshine as humans. And um, I'm very grateful to have recorded them uh, in some cases, I don't know that there's another recording of Dr. Maxine Thompson out there. So it shows another reason to continue to produce this podcast. And one of the best things to do is to go back and listen to what was happening back in 2015. In a discipline like biotechnology, the technology moves so fast that we can see changes over an eight-year period. And so you're able to watch the evolution of the Aqua Advantage salmon. You're able to watch new technologies emerging with the COVID pandemic. You're able to see new technologies emerging that integrate some of what was learned about delivery of RNA and lipid nanoparticles, such as what we heard about with Poseida Therapeutics or with the efforts to reverse scar tissue in hearts and livers and kidneys. All of these were podcasts in the last couple of years. Uh, we heard about the development of the COVID vaccines, as well as the impacts of long COVID. All of these were covered in the podcast. Some of the extremely exciting opportunities came from new ways of thinking about cancer. Um, that uh, will we just live with it and be able to manage it, just like we manage any kind of, like for instance, HIV these days. Or will there eventually be cures for specific types of cancers? We heard about sickle cell disease and a very optimistic, forward-thinking uh, discussion that sickle cell disease may be a thing of the past and that in the very near future, gene therapy uh, may be something that can rescue uh, 95,000 African Americans from a very painful disease that uh, that could be cured in the next couple of years. There are so many uh, beautiful, optimistic stories. And I think every week almost I end with something like, uh, you know, come back and tell us when the big breakthroughs happen because they're happening all the time. And we live at a time when biotechnology is moving faster and more furious than ever before. And so when I sit down sometimes and think, it sure would be nice to not have to produce a podcast this week or arrange another interview. I got enough to do. I got a new daughter at home. I got hundreds of animals and orchards of trees and all of my normal research and lab work. Ugh, lots going on. Farmer's market every Saturday. Um, you know, I got to be there. Not doing a podcast would probably feel pretty good. Um, I even took a hiatus from science facts and fallacies, which I do every Friday. Um, now I've kind of taken a hiatus from that one for a while. But it's the new breakthroughs and the rapidly evolving uh, developments that I want you to know about every single week. At the same time, we have to talk about communication strategy and how we share this information with other people, especially when we see how easy it is to malign a good technology. When you look at what happened with the COVID vaccine, when you look at what's going on with mRNA vaccines in animals, I mean, these are hot topics that we need to blaze a trail of truth because we know how these things work. 
But as we've learned, facts don't matter when you're communicating with the public. It's all about our values and about how what we do doesn't matter, but why we do it does. And this is really where we can talk about that here on Talking Biotech. And that when we talk about talk, about these topics, we can learn how to be better communicators and better stewards of our science. And at the end of the day, if our applications are going to serve those they were meant to serve, we all have to be out there speaking about it in social media as well as across the table. Uh, these are great technologies with great potential that may never get to where they're needing to go strictly because nobody talked about why they're important. We're great at innovation. We're not so good at communication. And that's why we have stalled innovation. So at the risk of going too long, I'll conclude here. And I'll end episode 400 by saying thank you very much for listening and I appreciate your loyalty. Continue to send ideas, uh, send uh, requests, be a co-host. You know, you're more than welcome to share a microphone with me here and let's do this together because this really is a partnership. It's, it's funny because people talk about other leading science podcasts and it's, you know, it's uh, the BBC and CVS and, uh, and all these, you know, uh, scientific American and, and science versus and all these, and all of those science Friday. And when you listen to those at the end, they always say, uh, Laura Lickman is our producer and so-and-so is our web manager and so-and-so arranges our interviews and so-and-so takes care of this. And they have this team that does all the work uh, here. It's me. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'd love to get a producer. I'd love to have somebody else be able to actually put this thing together every week, but it's me. And I spend three to four hours between the interview and studying and, uh, and producing and a website and all that stuff um, a week just to produce the podcast. And, and it's a labor of love. I look forward to it every week. But um, I hope you listen to that and understand that and get excited about that. That whereas these other podcasts are um, huge teams and doing beautiful work as huge teams, um, here it's just little old me. And when I see this thing coming up as number 12 in the iTunes Life Sciences and um, <laughs> and I know it's just me doing it, um, I can uh, say that I, I, I really feel good about that because it means that we have a quality product that really people are listening to. And, and it means a lot. So please, if you can, write a review on iTunes, share it with some friends, tell other people to tune into this thing and help me keep this enterprise going. This is an enterprise that was banned from the university. They didn't want me to do it. So there's a little bit that feels good about it really taking off and doing well in spite of the fact that, that a major university wants nothing to do with it. it, it, it I always felt they were wrong, and every additional download just reminds them how wrong they really are. <laughs> they actually highlighted a bunch of university podcasts and... Um, I submitted mine and they wouldn't even mention it. So um, it, it's something that really bothers me. But you know what? I'm going to lean into it. Let's just keep on rolling and keep on growing. And that means I need your help. So tell tell a friend, share this everywhere you can on social media. Just even retweet or share my uh, Facebook and Twitter postings, okay? Help me out there. Let's make this even bigger going into episode 401. 
There is some great stuff already been recorded that will be outstanding episodes going forward. And we're only getting better. When I compare against what I was doing right after the Joe Rogan podcast, um, this is a billion times better. And there's a lot of room to grow. So thank you very much for listening. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast. And we'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.